Hello and welcome to the Me and My Golf podcast. We're your hosts and PGA coaches, Andy Proudman and Piers Ward. And these podcasts are really about one thing, making you better. Yes, on here we'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as players and coaches, as well as bringing to you special guests to help your game. Let's get into today's podcast and help you take charge of your game. So before we get into today's podcast, we want to make sure that you are getting the most out of your golf. So the best way to do this is to go to meandmygolf.com where you can get to access our premium content, our shot fixer, our coaching plans, which are being used literally by thousands of golfers all around the world to get the best out of their game. So go and check it out. Take advantage of the free trial and let us know what you think. Now, today's podcast we have a special guest and we have a golf coach who is now working very much as a performance coach with elite golfers all around the world his name is Stuart Morgan he works mainly with Bernd Wiesberger as his top charge so to speak and this is a really informative discussion that we have with Stuart because he really goes through what he does with golfers to help them play the game better. So it's not so much about technique, it's about testing golfers on the golf course, making their practice ugly, working at their skill acquisition, designing practice plans. So it really does get to the point where he's testing the golfers to the point where he actually falls out with these golfers. So it's really useful, very powerful. And we know if you listen to this, you're going to get some things out of this that you can put into your own game to help lower those scores and your ability to play good golf on the golf course. So without further ado, here is our special guest, Stuart Morgan. Stuart, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, thanks for having me on in these uh, testing times for us all. You know, we want to get out there and do our bit, but, uh, you know, have to be patient. And we've, we've just kind of... Been been given the all clear in Austria, so we're um, we're kind of good to go. You're a little bit ahead of us, which is uh, which is nice. Nice to be out there on the course. And before we come on, you were just talking about how you had the course to yourself with Bernd Wiesberger the other day, which was good. Yeah, it was. You know, it's nice because we can mix up some tees and you know create some like different loops for ourselves. And we did some uh, some simulated scoring the other day with you know coupling like different holes and different tees to do with um like us open setup and and things like that where you know adding demands to the set the boundaries of the golf course and things and you just wouldn't be able to do that you no. know with, with when the golf course is full with, with green fee payers <laughs> members those golfers those getting in the way, way. <laughs> how yeah. dare they get in the way of our golf course training <laughs> <laughs> it's been great good good so Stuart, look you're a, you're a performance coach It'd be great to get a little bit of a, a brief history for the listeners of, of sort of um, what that really means, because I think there's a, there's a few performance coaches out there, but what does that, re- it's a broad term. We'd love to get sort of into the, the detail of what that actually looks like, but also how you, a history of sort of how you got to where you are really, so people have some context to it. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm never really one for these sort of titles and names personally. I think it's something that's just been handed over to me like within <laughs> within certain setups that I have and, and whatnot and he does it different we'll give him that name <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and I think it's also synonymous with you know there's some crossovers with stuff that I do like like Dave already you know we're like different we're different people and we do things in slightly different ways and, and whatnot but you know it's very much based around well like score performance tournaments or how how can you get that player that you're working with to function at their highest more often primarily and there's you know there's many different facets to it i think there's there's some kind of knowledge of different areas you know i came from a i'm still a got you know pj member and i still do you know some of the you know the the technical stuff and and whatnot with some clients and and whatnot but where it kind of came about was i think it was around like 2005 2006 i used to work at the grove um down near watford and we hosted the wgc down there and it was around that time where i was starting to i'd worked with some tour pros and you know it was i came from the leadbetter background and it was very much well let's just change the technique and then I started to look at it and go, well, that technique isn't necessarily yielding what I thought it might yield when it came to 
scoring wise and yeah. and so on and so forth. And with me being, I'm quite a critical person myself. Um, and I just started to question and just, I went to the Belfry to do a, one of the CPD courses and came across, I went to see Graham McDowell and he, and he introduced me to um, nonlinear pedagogy and constraint and constraints led learning. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, what is this about? <laughs> you know, there was like language that I'd never heard before. And, um, and it just opened up this box of, you know, this whole practice side of things and this whole, you know, I went down the motor control literature and started to just open and read and read and read and read and then pick, you know, many people's brains and um, continuing to do that. And really, I then went over, I, I did some stuff in the UK, uh, and I then started, I stopped doing the tour stuff. I worked with Nick Doherty for a while and stopped um, after we kind of parted ways amicably. And it was very much like, okay, what, what now? You kind of like think, what did I learn? What could I be better at? You know, all these things that you would, if you want to get better at your craft, that you should be asking yourself, that reflective element. And I really quite enjoyed the junior side of coaching. I was co coaching a couple of like decent, like younger players. And I started to like track it and think, I need to learn more about this stuff if I'm ever going to be go to the other side. Because I think we, we, we have so many traits and behaviors that are so embedded in us from our childhood. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if we want to get the best out of a, a human being, we really need to know this and we need to have a, a, a broader scale of what, of what goes on when they're, when they're younger, got really deep into the junior stuff that got me to go. Uh, I got asked to go and work at a junior Academy in, in the U S did that, um, enjoyed living over there. I, I tried to bring that whole nature of the, you know, the learning and, um, into the environment, but it just, you know, it just didn't work out. I had different views on how the, the, the academy should be run to the owner and it just didn't, you know, it just didn't happen, unfortunately. And then I came back to, we came back to Austria. My wife is from here and, uh, we came back a year early and, um, yeah, it was around that time I'd kind of reconnected with Bernd because I'd known Bernd for like, you know, 15 odd years since I worked for Ledbetter here in Austria and then we kind of obviously went our different ways. When I was in the US, I went to put the players, you know, and saw him play there and came back, met up with him again, just because n nothing more than just like say, hi, you know, we're, you know, we've known each other a long time. We've, um, we're kind of from similar, you know, you're a professional golfer. I've been in that space and we'd seen each other on tour quite a bit. And we just started like hanging out and kind of chatting and having some coffees and, and whatnot. And it just kind of went from there, really. And he, he, at that time, he was getting a little bit despondent with his, um, with how he was practicing and how he was training. And that's really where my energy had been in for that past, well, pretty much since 2005, 2006, just, you know, looking at this whole thing, you know, got involved with or, or met David Allred in that, in that particular time. And it just kind of escalated from there to say, well, Performance coaching is more about the you know improving the outcome of of a high performer, but also there are also huge crossovers with other professional athletes or professional businessmen as well. They have this. I'm sure you guys have seen it as well. They have this like different mentality to what they want to do, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's golf or whether it's you know something else, and it's just putting the multifaceted thing of the human being into place to enable them to play better golf yes. primarily. And it's a complex thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it's fun, yeah. but it's, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to, to say, okay, that thing will work for that person and it will work for everybody. It doesn't quite work out like that. Um, I think it would be an easier world if it did work out like that, but, <laughs> of course. Um, but it would take the fun out of it as well so i am a pj i do a, still do a lot of you know some technical stuff but i primarily focus on you know how do we practice better how do we learn better um to learn techniques and to enhance our performance when we really get on the golf course so that's kind of 
the long-winded version. Yeah, and do you know what? It's, it's, it's interesting because we've had, we had on the podcast um, a few weeks ago Carl Morris, and then we had um, Pierre and Lynn from Vision 54. And, you know, I think it's just really apparent that golfers' practice is so bad. <laughs> You know, yeah. and um, and even some of the tour players, obviously, that you know, the tour players' practice is still bad. Not all of them, but obviously, some of them are making some progress and changing that. And it just shows that there's a massive opportunity to to get better and to improve the performance. And you know, we've all been there as well. Thinking back to a lot of the times that we've given a lesson, God, God, this guy, we've got this guy swinging it so good. He's going to go out there tomorrow. He's going to have a great game, and then he comes back in. You, you know, how did you get on? Oh, no, no good. And you're like, how can that happen? He was hitting it yeah, so yeah. well. He was swinging at his best and he still didn't put that into performance. But this is the, this is where the stuff that you're, you're doing bridges that gap, doesn't it? It sort Very of bridges so. that gap between technical, yeah. you know, and, and, and also how we, how we package that practice and training together and how we do it potentially not necessarily just on the driving range as well. Yeah, and I think when we look at it as, as go- all golfers, really, we have generally more fun when we shoot lower scores you know we it's still not still don't see many people coming off shooting 99 or 102 or whatnot and go oh yeah i had an amazing time out there today you know it's, it's just for me it just doesn't there, there's a crossover and i think we've also some ways gone away from you know we still we're still scoring especially at the level that, that we're you know the people that i'm dealing with the score is there it's it is it is an outcome and i know people say don't focus on the outcome and whatnot but I'm yet to meet an elite performer that uh, in golf that isn't in tune to the score that they're actually mm. shooting, and they're yeah. wired to do that. Yeah, you know, and um, it is very much bridging that gap, and, and in multiple facets. Like, yeah, okay, well, well, if somebody wants to improve somebody's tech or their technique, well, there are there are somewhat better ways to do that than just standing there you know, hitting ball after ball after ball after ball. And it's, and I didn't know this until I, you know, opened, started delving into Pandora's box of all his literature (laughs) and whatnot. And, and I think you're right there with, with golf. It's, I think it's at a place where with the practice stuff, a little bit like S and C went, um, um, with golf injury power and whatnot. The only challenge with what we have is, or the, the space that I work in, Versus S and C. If somebody's doing S and C and they look in a mirror, they can see physical changes mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. Whereas the stuff that's going on here is behavioral, neurological, and yeah. you know, it's 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 not so easy to see. No. And and that's the biggest that's the biggest um, barrier that that anyone in your role will always have because it's not so much. But then I suppose the key is then is as long as they can buy into that, then you know that you've got them and you know that their outcome is going to be better. Yeah. And I think. And I think it's it's and it's it's interesting because what we wanted to do with this podcast was we wanted to make sure anyone who listened to this, they were able to get some actionable things out of this. And we're definitely going to be going through a few things that we want, you know, you'd, you'd recommend for amateur golfers, obviously, yeah. some of the things that you perhaps do with Burned. But it is interesting for the last 10, 20, 30 years, you know, golf instruction has been coined by some great coaches. We know David Ledbetter, obviously, who you've worked with, obviously a fantastic golf coach. We know that he's adapted as time has gone on, but Butch Harmon's. And I think the thing is, whenever you see things in either media or even online, a lot of it is swing-focused. It's not so much about what the coach will do with them away from that as well, because some of them obviously will be doing some similar things to what you do. But one of the things that I see spoken about a lot there is a question to this i'm getting to it (laughs) one of the one of the things that i see a lot is you know um and i know you talk about this as well skill acquisition yeah what does to you what does skill acquisition mean and how can that benefit uh anyone listening to this well well, skill acquisition is the whole thing right it's like we're saying and this even i've had my thoughts on this about Skill is being able to execute something, uh, the whole thing on the golf course. So if it's a, you know, it's a drive, fine. It's, you know, maybe somebody has a shape and, and whatnot and be able to, you know, do that. But also then not just do that, but then go on to do, a, you know, an adaptive skill for their next shot. You know, it's yeah. not like I just learn that one Thing. Technique, yeah, yeah, and and it and it's not, and it has part of it, and I think that, um, I think this is where somewhere you know when we understand how 
like memory works and memory recall. It's um, when we take the context away from what the player is actually trying to do on the golf course, it's, it doesn't embed itself into our memory because it has no context. So, we've, so then we don't have the ability to recall it when we get into the golf environment. Right. So it's, it's almost like, okay, I work on my mechanics and it's like, I'm great. That's great. But what are you working on the mechanics for? Mm. You know, is it to guard against injury? Is it to produce more power? Is it for the mechanics to hit a particular shot? So the skill element to it. So then it has context. Yeah. But, but then you also have the other part of the skill, which is, which is coupled with that. And that's the pre stuff. So that's like, well, I still think when you start to segment the skill too much and you say, I'm just going to work on this bit, it also has less probability it's going to transfer to the performance context. So keep the skill, everything coupled together. So that's like, okay, what are you doing in your pre-shot routine? What are you doing in shot? What are you doing post-shot? That's the whole skill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and and that's where I think amateur golfers could benefit as well. And you said talking about actionable things is work hard to to do less segmenting of that skill if they do go to the driving range for an hour. Yeah, they might get more mentally fatigued because it's it's a little bit more cognitive, but that's okay. A little bit more thinking, Toughen that's up, okay. Though, you yeah. know, it's good. Yeah, yeah, as long as the thinking is in the right places <laughs> and and so on and so forth. But that that would be skill is the whole thing of of what we want to do with an outcome or a task is is that and, and that's the pre shot, in shot, post shot, everything you do there, and then also how do you train that skill to be able to recall that information when you get into tournament golf and get onto the golf course. And that's a skill in itself, you know. So I suppose for the, for the listeners who listen to this, if they're working on, for instance, working on how to play a fade or they're working on how to hit a low shot because they know they're going to play some links golf coming up or whatever it might be, them segmenting that on the driving range, just working at the mechanics is, could be detrimental to them because they're not packaging it together with, with the, the pre, the, the during, and then the post. So it's, yeah, it's not getting too segmented from that involving yeah, all, involving all the rest of it. Yeah, and the, and the thing with like segmenting of the skill, it, you know, we, there is an, enough literature out there to say it's less likely to transfer. You know, and that's really what if you're look if you're working on a particular shot or whatever, surely the whole reason for that is so it does transfer. Yeah. Yes. If yeah. it doesn't transfer, then what, like what's the point in doing it? Yeah, it's kind of like going to the driving range on a Friday night and saying to all the 50 golfers who are hitting shots saying what you're doing is less likely to make you better. And, yeah. and, and, and if you can actually tell the people this and actually get them to understand how to do it, I think then there's obviously a chance for them. Yeah. And I think some of it comes down from a culturally, you know, we talked about like I grew up in the like the Nick Faldo era and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was interesting for me when, you know, you have this perception of somebody and what you th- you wanted to practice like your heroes and shelling balls after ball after ball and then i got to meet him and it's like dude you hardly did that at all you know it's like <laughs> you, you know you were hitting shots like round trees and, and stuff like this when you were younger so mm-hmm. it's you know some of these great players did what you know what the evidence and the, and the literature is or the research is kind of telling us it's just that we, we kind of didn't know about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. A lot of the things that they probably, and, and you probably would get this when you ask these, these athletes as well, that you asked them what made them great. And they told you all the stuff that they thought made them great, but actually there was probably was quite a bit of stuff that made them great without even realizing it. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, it's that difference between, you know, declarative knowledge and procedural stuff, you know, some of the great stuff that they do, they're almost not aware that they're doing it. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course, but yeah. they're finding it. And and what what how much of an importance does emotions have on this? Obviously, when you when you're training, I mean it's it's it can be you know good and 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 bad. You know, it's like for me, um, I, the more the more emotionally connected a player can get to what we're doing, 
the again the higher chance of retention because there's you know what they call like hot cognition so there's there's activity going on in the brain from a learning perspective where this they're just you know there's no buy-in and there's like compliance to it that's just as detrimental as just hitting thousands of balls on the driving range so there's no emotional buy-in and, and that's usually connected to where that player wants to go like what their goals and aspirations are you know within the game but also the game is full of of emotions you know some people will say they're a flatliner some will have a bit more kind of the up and down and I'm not you know I'm not one for for saying oh you're an up and down player to turn you into a flatliner because I think that causes like huge amounts of dissonance in somebody and they just won't they won't feel so very comfortable doing that it's like trying to Tyrrell Hatton into Martin Keimer. It's just yeah, never yeah. going to happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd like to see you try. That's a good, that's a good question for you. And, you. and you'd probably, you know, you, and, and Tyrrell wouldn't be the same. So there's like that, you know, that yeah. little bit in there. But again, the more you can watch somebody in, and that's why I love going to tour. I, I love going to tournaments to see players play mm. because I just, you just learn so much about, wow, I, did, I, I didn't notice that. Or I wasn't noticing this. And then when you see stuff, it's like, okay, now I can layer that on to like a tournament or onto practice and see if I can get them there. Yeah. See if I can get that same reaction, you know, out of them where they're getting a little bit sort of hissy and a little bit of steam coming out. Of them, you know, and it's like, okay, now, now we're in a place where we can move forward. Yeah. 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 There's too passive sometimes where you're not, you're not challenging them enough. You know the environment and the, and those those emotions can kind of like just like you know I'm just kind of going through it here a little bit. I'm not totally. Totally. I'm not kind of into it here. Yeah, and this this brings us to something that we were talking to Burned about, and we have to talk to you about as well because Burned talked about uh, talked about spoke about training ugly. That's something he does with you, and just go through that a little bit if you could. Yeah, so there are like somewhat training ugly are. Are the are the environment, you know, what you do to the to the golf course, mm-hmm. okay? So the boundaries of the golf course, or or whatnot. So I'll give you an example where you know I said to you that we did simulated scoring the other day with different holes, but we based it on a U.S. Open. We based it on something that maybe wing foot, and we said, okay, you need to shoot level par for nine to win the U.S. Open, right? But we took both sides of the fairway, so the both roughs. He had to pitch out sideways or kind of lay it up short. So it's it's kind of what you'd get maybe at a US Open. Um, we stretched out some holes so they were longer, um, different tees, so it's kind of different angles. Hit a lot more shots from uh, seven, six, five iron range, which again, you know, you're going to get to at US Opens and, and things like that. And all of a sudden, because it just sparks something, you know, it's like, okay, well, now there's some meaning to it. And that's, an, that's, that's one way that you can do it to actually tra- train ugly and to challenge the person. There's another way of saying, well, um, there's a thing called efficacy, okay, which uh, one of the famous psychologists, Albert Bandura, um, c- kind of coined and came up with. And it's a, it's a more specific term than confidence because it's much more task related. So if we are um, also have a task, we might use TrackMan or, or a scoring task on the golf course. We'll then set kind of targets for him, narrowing the targets of what we're trying to get him to hit into because we have to get the challenge point right. Yeah. Right. So. Let's say he's hitting a, he's practicing a, a, a zone between 125 meters to 175 meters, and we say, okay, your your goal is to get five shots inside of five meters from there, so 15 feet. Well, that on the golf course would be, you know, you'd be the best iron player in the world yeah. doing that. But off the same lie and flat lie, you then you know you have to make it more demanding. Yeah. And then he has a score to try and beat of his like personal best. But if he goes past that and he doesn't achieve it, he still has to keep going. So that's that resilient element kind of and that perseverance kind of kicking in. You don't like it when we go through these. That's, tested, that's <laughs> testing his emotions right there then, isn't it? Which is exactly what you want to do. But, but the thing is, it's like, you know, I when we do these things, I'm I'm more interested in 
that's great if he achieve if he achieves it. But I'm more interested in saying, well, if he's not in that, if he's not achieving that score, or he's not challenging himself to get that score, can he keep the same level of intensity and and what the, to keep going? Yeah, that's a great point because I think as as you're saying there, how, how many golfers would do a challenge? Let's say they've got to get seven out of ten on a fairway. If they if they miss the first four. They give up. They're done. They're not the going to carry on. They're not. They're, they're they're done, aren't they? But I, I really like that. That's the ugly part. That's when that's when you ri- risk falling out with them, though. Yeah, which well, is probably what you want to do. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the thing is, we you know we we've had our moments, right? I mean, I'm not 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 in a. But we're just trying. You know, I'm just trying to help them get better. You know, that's yeah. It's not. It, once that's over, it's not like that we're not going to go like have a beer or a glass or, or a coffee or whatnot. It's not a personal thing. It's about the craft. It's about getting better at our jobs or me, you know, challenging him to be better at his job. And I do the background stuff and whatnot because I want, that's my primary goal in life is to just be great at the job that I do. And yeah, of course it, there's going to be <laughs> some, some, some difficult moments, but it's just that getting through it. And that's why, I tend not to do many things out of something. And this is something that Dave already taught me and why we always say get five or get three. So you set like a, a, a corridor. It can be just, a you know, somebody who's a 20 handicapper and they have a green on the driving range, okay, and they're just standing there. And you say, okay, your goal is to get five shots onto that green. And then record how many does it take you to get five shots onto that green. If he goes and gets six, it's probably too easy for him. Yeah. So you then make it a little bit more demanding. If it goes to like 25, 30, he's got a, he's got a number. He, next time he comes down there, okay, I'm going to try and beat that. But he still has to get five, yeah. irrespective of whether he gets to 40, 50, whatever it might be. The goal is still to get five. And that's where that those qualities of elite performers that, you know, you still need to move those things forward. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah, it. I love and it. You know, I think it's, I think it's amazing. I think it's also just, just listening to this and just thinking about it. A lot of golfers just, they, they almost just separate golf and practice, don't they? It's like, well, golf is there. Practice is here. And there's a mistake in itself because then it's like, well, this is what I do on the driving range and this is what I do on the golf course. And how many times the amount of people ask us, well, they say, well, how can I deal, how can I deal with the pressure more when I'm out on the golf course? And they think that there's some special tools, which there obviously are some tools that can help that are on the golf course, but they don't necessarily think about the, how directly related the practice is for them actually being better under the pressure situations because they're, they've separated it so much that the practice is nothing like their, their competitive play. And then they're asking, how can I be, how can I deal with the pressure more when I'm in competitive play? And actually the answer is in the practice because if we can align those two closer things together where the practice isn't so different, well, you haven't got to necessarily work so hard in competitive play than have you. And obviously with Burnt, great season, three wins and, and unbelievable season you'd like to think what's the work that you're doing with him is having a huge impact on that because he's closing out wins, which isn't easy to do on the European tour. It's not. And he, you know, I knew when I started working with him, you know, you've got, he's proven that, that he can do it in the arena. And it's like, you know, it was for me, it was the, the somewhat the right time, the right place for, you know, for both of us, I just moved back to Austria. He had, he, you know, he was not happy with the things that he was doing with his, with his practice and and stuff like that, and then he had the injury, yeah, which was um, you know testing. You know, it's going to challenge you, you know, from a from a human element with your patience and kind of the not knowing. And um, came out of it with probably a little bit more gratitude, which I which I layered onto him, yeah, which is massive. Um, just grateful that you're out there doing the things that you love to do, and yeah. and so on and so forth. Um, but it also gave us an opportunity to, um, you know, primarily we practiced less or he practiced less. It was less ball beating. And we had this sort of mantra of like never waste a ball. So whatever you're doing, 
you know, when it comes to, you know, if you're doing a little bit of tweaking with your kind of mechanics and like, you know, he's 35 this year, you know, his mechanics are what they are, you know, you're not going to, to go and try and change a, a complete motor program now would just be lunacy for starters. I don't think he'd have the time to do it. And physically he, he is what he is. You know, that's, yeah. we get to a certain point where we have, these are the cards we're dealt and we have that's to deal it, with yeah. them. Um, but we, yeah, we kind of made it much more um, specific to the behaviors, making sure that he goes through, again, his routine. And it's simple things, right? Go through your routines, understand a little bit where your attentional focus is when you're, you know, when you're in the shot. And, you know, we did some verbal protocol stuff the other day where he had to talk through the steps that he was going through just to make it sharper, you know, and to just to reaffirm certain things of of what he does when he's at his best yeah yeah you know just li- just little things like that and i think we're golfers and, and we you know we talk about golfers as, again i have this behavioral mate this sort of map of what golf is and if you read any of the stuff from like daniel kahneman to, you know it's more to do with like behavior he's from behavioral economics to do with like but him and Amos Tversky won a Nobel Prize to do with this. They don't have a Nobel Prize for psychology, so he went across to the um, to the mathematics side or <laughs> economics and got one over there. <laughs> but if, if we understand, if we know how difficult it is to change a behavior, then why not do the behavior more often? And that's what you were saying there. With we're almost like having players have two level two behaviors. They they yeah. want a behavior when they go on the golf course but they have a different behavior when they're practicing. Well, the closer you can get the practice behavior to the performance behavior, you just go out there and do what you do. It's not, you don't have to change anything. Yeah. That's massive. I think anyone listening to this now, just, 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 just taking a, a, you know, there's two things that really stood out there for me. Number one, make sure that every shot counts. It means something. I think that's huge because people can then suddenly where they practice they'll hit as you said they'll probably hit less golf balls but they'll understand that they have to have a purpose for that shot which is as andy was alluding to get it more closely linked to just playing real golf but i really liked how you were talking about you know saying out loud the steps that you are going through so you become more aware and we always say that look if you're if you're focusing on what you want to do you're not focusing on the shot that you don't want to do you know, we Correct. know that the demons that get in people's heads by saying these things. And I think this is, it's, you know, so I think there's two really powerful things there that really stand out for us. And from a coaching standpoint, you know, you guys will know it's very hard to, um, we can't get inside the player's head when we're watching from outside the ropes and, and stuff like that. And sometimes to understand a little bit about what they are, you know, what they are thinking and the steps they're going through once they've kind of finished and you can it's a it's a much easier reflective point of view than it is than if you don't know because you can say okay did you do this did you do this did you do this did you do this you know that those are the things that enable you to play at your best mm. you know we had this conversation the other day of like well you know we've got to understand this as well you play your best when you do this so let's just do more of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah, that, <laughs> that would make sense, wouldn't it? <laughs> but, it's a, but, you know, we get so caught up, and I get it like this as well. I was always trying to find problems and, and whatnot, of like, oh, you know, we need to do this, I need to do this. But it's also with stats, like, well, what do you do well? What yeah. are the good things that you do? Yeah. And, and you know, that, that kind of, you know, pieces into it. I mean, I, met, I remember chatting to a golfer, Wanting a challenge to a player, wanting to play, um, where well, he, he lost his card, challenge to a card, went back to the the the, the next, the lower tier, the third tier, and then got his European tour card. Unfortunately, we're in this this, this year's tour card, so he's like, "Well, what am I going to do <laughs> after this?" But I remember sitting down with him and going through like um, like asking him about, "Well, what is golf? To you? Is golf more conscious? Is it more reactive? Is it um, a bit more kind of?" intuitive is it you know more programmed and and these behaviors you know they sit on a continuum and you put a little cross where they are and you basically say okay if this is golf this is what performance is and what you do on the golf course how often do you train matching that behavior and he went well hardly ever (laughs) so then you go okay well 
let's just do that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This makes sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just do something that matches so you don't have to change it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, no, you're exactly right, isn't it? I think it's, you know, it's obviously the people who are listening to this, the amateurs out there, I think it'd be really cool to give them some more things and just sort of almost set off some alarm bells. I think we would have set off some alarm bells already about the people who are you know listening to this but what what are the what are the sort of the main things that you see other than what you've mentioned already what are the main things that you see that amateur golfers do struggle with um, in their training i think they sometimes work at too much range to course rather than course to range so it's like okay well go go and play go and kind of see what's happening spend a bit more time out there and then maybe come and do something on the driving range and like to to fine tune something or, or whatnot or just use the golf course as if it's a quiet evening at you know a golf course and you have an hour to spare you know why do you always need to go to the range why not just go and play three or four holes with you know and chuck a couple of balls down and and like test yourself yeah if you have things to work on then go, go and challenge yourself go and test it because yeah. that's the only way that you'll know if it's kind of if you're improving of course it's amazing how many golfers are self-conscious about playing golf by yourself because we mention it quite a bit you know go and play golf by yourself even if as you say for two or three holes play golf by yourself what are you crazy but it's like that's a really powerful thing to do if you look at our golf club as well pierce where we grew up Mm. we we are just thinking about this is that our golf club didn't really have a practice area you had to hit balls down the 18th down the 18th fairway and go and pick them up yourself so it was a It was a bit of a ball ache to go and practice. But at the same time, you know, there was a group of us who all played together and we were just out on the golf course. We were, we were playing golf. We were putting ourselves in strange situations, competing. We'd go out on our own a lot and just play and, and mess around. And yeah. I think that was a great thing. I'm sort of glad we didn't have a practice area. Yeah, me yeah, too. Yeah. I, I was the same at my club as well. And it was um, the best, best times ever, like yeah. after school and whatnot, getting dropped off there and, you know, a load of mates up there and just going out and competing and just having the crack, basically. Yeah. It's just, you know, I think that the you know, driving ranges aren't going away. Uh-huh. You know, they're, they're, they're here to stay. Um, but I do think that, you know, there's a balance. I think people are too fixated on, on certain things that they're doing on the driving range. Oh, I had a good practice session today. Oh, yeah, I played terrible on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's... <laughs> yeah. and, and, you, and you can you know going through all you know the, the the reading and the understanding that i've been through over the last you know 10 15 years it's you can not you know why right and you it's but it's again this this culture of what um of what golf is and i think we're the you know more people starting to um, be tuned into maybe this improvement in how we practice and how we train and and so on and so forth and that also goes for you know we know that there are there are technical things that people are going to need to work on. No problem. That's absolutely fine. We know there's physical elements to it. You can screen them. You can do all of this. You can get them to move better. But just because they can move better, it doesn't mean that they're going to move better with a golf club in their hand. Yeah, exactly. So there's a there are there are better ways than and worse ways to say if you want to improve your technique, you know how can you go about doing that. So having a bit of a plan, not just somebody giving them information. And if, if we look, think of it this way, I've been guilty of this, 100%. I've given somebody a golf lesson for an hour, and I take it for granted that they know how to practice it. Mm. Yeah. 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 I've been a hunt, and I'll hold my hands up to this. Like when going, you know, coming out of the PGA stuff and, and what been there, yeah. And and I still think there's a huge amount of that. I think there are some, you know, some very, very switched on golf coaches like yourselves that are kind of always trying to learn and push the envelope and and it's getting better and better and better. But I still think there's a lot of it. Yeah. Mm. So I think it's like, well, great, have this you want to work on, but get a plan of how to do it. Yeah. That would be that that uh, and then you're not wasting your time when you go into the driving range or to the, the practice facility and and whatnot. So Good question then, obviously, with the amateurs who've only, let's say they've got 60 minutes to practice in a a general week and they play once a week. 
How would you recommend that that 60 minute? What would it look like for them in an ideal situation? Oof, it depends. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it really depends for me on what it is they're trying to do with their with their golf game. You know, are they? Do they have aspirations of like? getting that you know some some guys just really want to be single figures right or they want to once they get to single figures they want to get down to like category one handicappers and whatever whatever it might be um and then make the training very specific to what those areas are that are going to enable you to do that yeah and that's where it comes down to like you go there you know it's, it's the same thing of like you know if you look at a personal trainer an S and C guy, you know, you go there, you kind of get a plan of what, you know, how many reps you do, what weight you do, how often you should go per week. Golfers don't do enough of that. No, yeah. there's no plan, is there? No. There's no, it's just like, okay, I go and get this declarative knowledge off somebody. I know how to do it. So I know what the information is, but how do I do it? Yeah. What because, does my plan look like? Yeah, yeah. But, because the thing is, if we, you know, when we, when we look at this and this is like, it's not just, well, it is, it's what we, what they need to do. It's why they need to do it. But then there's also the when as well. So there are better times of the day to actually be doing certain training with the, the understanding of like neuroconsolidation of skills and then the order as well. So let's say, you know, if the order is mixed up of like, oh, I'm going to work on my wedges and I'm going to hit some drivers, that has less context than actually going driver, iron, wedge. Of course. You know, so then all of a sudden, if the context and the order of that is, you know, in, you know, with some spacing in between and whatnot, again, all of a sudden you create a learning environment, which is absolutely rich. Yeah. Mm. And they will come away from there. They will be a little bit mentally fatigued, but yeah. that's but that's a good thing. Yeah. Less yeah. physically fatigued. Yeah. And that's a sign that they will know, okay, yeah, I've I've been in a very rich learning environment here rather than just a physical environment hitting golf balls. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's so often that I, that we would give a lesson and and sometimes it's like all that lesson wants to do is just strike the golf ball well. And it's um, at the detriment of actually making changes a lot of the time because their focus on a good practice session is actually how well they've hit it in that session instead of actually how well have I mentally had the, the intensity of what I'm actually trying to focus on and have I been really purposeful in that change in the mechanics or I, have I been really purposeful in challenging myself with my routine and my outcome, for instance? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And even if it's like with, you know, with... You know, let's say they've gone to you know, a recreational player and they've been out and they've played and they've started to notice, I'm not very good with that shot or that shot always seems to kind of crop up. Well, simulate it. You know, go through these things. And it seems so simple to do and yet they, people don't do it. But there's definitely a big factor in that, that when someone goes to a driving range, they want to they want to have a nice experience, don't they? So a nice experience will be, well, I'm really good with my seven iron and I'm actually pretty good with my three wood. So I'll hit them a lot. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll yeah. repeat, repeat, repeat. And maybe I'm trying to do a swing change and I'll do it with those clubs. But, you know, if you went to the driving range and you were to interview, it'd be great. This is this is this is a video. This is a whole concept. This is. <laughs> so someone turns up to the driving range and you go, right. So what are you really bad at? <laughs> and you go, right, we're going to work at that today. And we're going to just do all of those things that you're not very good at. And I'm going to do my best to make sure that you don't enjoy yourself today. And it's amazing. That would be a, probably the best session they could ever have because yeah. it just is what they need. But the other thing I read something recently, which um you know it might scare some of the some of the listeners but it's it's a real um again a real eye-opener where if somebody's just going to the driving range and they have something they want to work on okay mm. as an example this wasn't done in golf it was done on another skills task but they um they just literally go through a mass in of practice okay so they just mass 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 they did this and they um neurologically they tested it Within six hours, that is non-retrievable. Really, there you go. Yeah. So, and even when, so when a when a um, when we learn something, 
So if you're learning something new, the best time to do it is late in the day before you stop. And then it's closer to sleep. So when we sleep, we consolidate. So the, the, the stuff that we've learned moves into the brain, into the right areas, hopefully into the motor cortex. So we're able to or into long-term memory so we can retrieve it. But with that massing, it's gone. So like two, three, four sleeps, it's still consolidating. It's still embedding itself, but it's non-retrievable. Mm. So, it, that, so it's like, well, there's no wonder that people are not learning and not you know, improving potentially how, uh, how, how they think that they should be. And when they go there, and if they just mixed it up a little bit, with a bit more context yeah. to what the game is, so you're not decoupling, yeah. then all of a sudden you have that element of that hot cognition. There's activity going on in your brain. There's engagement. All of a sudden then it has a much greater chance of you have those sleeps. It, you know, even like I've even recommended players have naps like a short intense session then go home and have a nap yeah because it because it because it helps the it helps the consolidation process and then over a period of time it's much easier then they get into that same context and they can retrieve that information <laughs> i'm just thinking there's gonna be thousands of golfers laying asleep <laughs> in the car park after a rain session now at like three o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> what's happened here what are they doing I like so you think, but also, if you think of this, when the most, like, let's say a businessman or somebody, if they go to the driving range, when would they normally go? Yeah, after work, generally. Yeah. After work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like the perfect time for them to actually go mm -hmm. to actually learn, you know, and then go home and, and do, do, do whatever. It's so interesting you say this as well. Again, we'll go back to our childhood, Andy. I'm thinking about when when I would go and play golf by myself on the golf course. It was always after work, yeah. and I think and it was, and, I, and that was my that was the best time for me because the course was getting a little bit quieter. If I go out on the front nine and and I could just go out there and hit a load of shots, and I just it felt it felt a really good time to practice. And there's probably something in there then for for sure. You must have been sleep deprived then, Pierce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't go to sleep until four o'clock. I used to go down. I used to go clubbing after that. That was the problem. That's why it hasn't worked. It all it all fell out at the bar. But you can see, there's ton. There's you know, you know, you open up this box of what you know, how we can improve practice or how we can improve how somebody trains and whatnot. I just hope that we can you know can keep pushing it forward to improve what golfers you know really do and um. Not just at the high, you know, there's some, you know, a guy called Ian Highfield in the US, you know, he's trying to do more with the game like training guys, like trying to do more for the, you know, recreational guy players and, and stuff like that. And um, we said we're going to maybe hook up and try and do some stuff together. But it's, um, you know, at the tour level, when you're stuck, when you're very much trying to get, you know, if you save this player 0.25 of a shot. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. It's massive. Yeah, it's massive. absolutely massive. Yeah, yeah. And just, just, just whilst we, because I don't want to get onto stats in a moment, actually, but just for the people listening to this now, what, what are the, what are the quality questions they should ask themselves? So maybe one, two, three questions that you think they should go away after this, sit down and ask themselves. Yeah, I would, I would say potentially the first question is. Is my practice helping me shoot lower scores? And I know it's like a, because if they can't come up with any answers in that, they need to then reframe potentially what, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Then ask them, do, ask themselves, if I have to work on my mechanics or whatnot, do I have a plan of how to do it? And yeah. secondly, Am I spending enough time on the golf course? Yeah, and the answer will be no, probably to all of those. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> but, I think, but you can do I that. I think can't the you? reflection is kind of good that it is, you know, because course, unless yeah. you ask those funky questions, sometimes yeah, you just keep doing the same thing over, over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I know, yes. some, I know, so reflection's cool. hard because you have to shine, point the mirror up in front of you, and and whatnot. But it's um, it's a vital, it's a huge skill, vital skill. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so obviously we mentioned about stats. Great, by the way. Thank you for those. Um, we mentioned about stats. How important are they for what you do with your work and how important are they for amateur golfers? For my and, work, they're huge. And, and sorry, I'll add to that. Can they cause problems if you delve too deep? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yes, they yes, they can. But, but um, what's the importance for you? Um, the stats that, that we get, I think the European tour over the years have got better with the, you know, with the stats that the U S um, is pretty, is good because of the shot link data, um, you know, it's kind of in play and, and so on and so forth against the field that you're, that you're playing against. The one thing I will say sometimes though, is it sometimes starts to make you look too much of what others are doing rather than having stuff that you're working on for yourself. And I think that's where the strokes gain stuff is fantastic on go- on the golf course against the field and whatnot, but that would be the other side of it. You know, you need, you need to know with the player, where are their strengths? Where, where are the things that they, that they do well? What are the, the things that we're looking to do as a team and get towards, irrespective of what anybody else is, is doing? Yeah, like we know with stats that you know to primarily win on the European Tour, the PGA Tour, if you're averaging not for four rounds, 0.3 to 0.35 strokes gained per round, you're going to go close to winning winning the golf tournament. And mm. Mark Brody has helped me massively with with some stuff with um, with Burnt and and whatnot. And uh, where the where the, the the troubles come in, I think is. When people try and micromanage the stats too much and they look at yeah. them too often, um, I don't see you learn a huge amount just by looking at like a couple of rounds and, and things like that. And if you if you leave it for, we we tend to look at it and I map it for quarters. So I'll have them for every tournament, but we'll then do like averages of like okay for this, you know for these four tournaments here your strokes gained was, was this. Okay. If it was in an, in an area where we go, yeah, okay, that's okay. If it was in an area with the other side, we're like, okay, what's going on type, type of thing, because you have enough of a, a sample size to be, to say, oh, there's some kiss, there's some patterns happening here. That's a great point to anyone listening. If they do keep stats, maybe look at it on a quarterly basis as opposed to a week by week basis. I like that. Really because good. we're human beings, you know, we can go out, you know what it's like when you're competing, you go out one day, and absolutely flush it. You've done it exactly the same. You get up the next day, and you're like, "It's like I've never played golf before." <laughs> just, but but that that's the human nature. So to look at it from round to round can sometimes just blow people's head out. Yeah. The the other thing is come up with some specific things for your game and just keep track of them potentially, because when you see some of the stats, you know, programs they are great and they you know, but they have so much information on there. So if you don't know what you're looking for, it's then a case of like, I'm not, you know, oh, this looks terrible here. <laughs> but yes. but is it going to affect your score? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> I remember chatting to somebody sense. about stats one day and he came to me and I generally asked the player what their perception is of what, how they're playing and stuff. He's like, oh, yeah, my wedge plays terrible. Oh, okay. How terrible is it? Oh, it's just awful. I need, you really need to work on it. So I've gone in there, had a look. He's at four wedges in the last like like eight rounds of golf, and I'm like, <laughs> dude, you know, the the but the bucket isn't even worth paying attention to, yeah. like of how many shots you've hit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. It it just shows then how many people are out there just working at the wrong things based on just their perception themselves. <laughs> you know, very, very you, much you so. can't always believe what people say, and uh, yeah, it's just it's key that you actually get that quantifiable uh information i suppose and, and it's and it's targeted as well like with players that come in who are playing on a um let's say euro pro pro golf tour this the you know the alps tour the third level you know i've seen enough of you know i know roughly where they need to be birdie averages and bogey averages um from the studies that i've looked into and I also know that, you know, if they, they need to drive it well, wedge it well and putt well, because the golf courses are not as demanding as what they are. You know, if you go up and play, you know, European tour level and, and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, do, do you still work with Aaron Rye? Yeah. I do, yes. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I actually did a, I, I looked into him and I was like, um, because when he, when he made the progression and he jumped up and I was like, okay, why is he, why is he just all of a sudden got up there? And it's like, like a duck to water. He's like really, really good. I think he went for a stage of the, the information I had. He was averaging like a bogey, 1.2 bogeys around, yeah, which, was the be- which was the best on tour. Yeah, yeah, that's Aaron. Like it was fr- like fright. I'm looking at this, going, "Are these numbers right here?" <laughs> it was absolutely frightening. Mm. And then you, but then you have the the quantifiable stuff to say, well, from a metrics perspective, you can show that somebody. This is why yeah. you've made that adjustment or you've made that transition to that to the next tour, and it's just you're just playing the same game. And Aaron, interesting. Aaron's a guy who. We've been working with him since he was 11, and he's a guy who his practice and his play are the same thing. You know, there's not one golf ball that he hits that's wasted, and a lot of his practice is out there on the golf course, and it is as if it's um, the U.S. Open on a practice day. If you, you know? And if you can get that intensity right, you know, it's... It's frightening at what you know what you can do. It is, mm. and it's his, uh, one of his biggest strengths. He's great mentally, but he's great mentally because of how he approaches and puts the intensity in what he does when he's not competing. Which is uh, I actually sat at the same. I just sat at the same table in Cron with him and had a brief kind of chat and, and whatnot. And such a nice lad. Yeah, you know, such a and just like. I'm like, dude, I like sitting by you. Like, give me this level of peace. You know, it's like, he has this aura about him. It's like, this so like calm and whatnot. I'm like, oh, yeah, this, is, this is kind of nice. Are you sure you play on the tour? <laughs> <laughs> and there's me like firing around trying to like do, you know, do hundred different things. But it's like, oh yes, yeah, it's quite peaceful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's really nice guy. And I just yeah, wish him the world like of success. Yeah, he's uh, he's good. He is, yeah, he's a great lad and uh, exciting. It's 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 great to be a part of what he's doing because it's very different as well. So it's exciting, really. Um, right, we're conscious of time. We'll get onto the few more questions. Just a couple more questions. What are the traits of a tournament winner that you see? Uh, they hit the right shots at the right times, so they don't get caught up in the in the um, in the um, situation so much. It's like. This is the task I have in front of me, irrespective that it will be in round one as round four. That's, you know, that's the shot that I'm, I'm going to hit. Yeah. Uh, they, um, you know, they, tournament winners, they can all hit it. You know, they, they, they all have a level of ball control and whatnot. So I'm kind of not going to say that. They are all very, um, very focused in that, in that moment. Of, of what they're doing and they're very comfortable in themselves yeah. you know they're not they're very they're not so worried about what other people are doing and and whatnot you know when they go to when they arrive at a tournament they're just sort of like you know i'm here to to do my stuff and do my job yeah. versus you know some some players get there and go oh what's that guy doing over there or what's that guy doing and i think that's a it, it from rookies going up i think if they you know to be able to have that trait to be so sure of what you're doing is that is kind of the right thing i think that's a good thing to have yeah we spoke about this before about being impervious to what happened what's happening around you and i think that's that's huge as you say you know tiger woods doesn't really care what anyone else does no and it will never affect what he's going to do yeah 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 pierce should we move on to the quick fire let's go quick fire let's go quick fire so we've got we'll be as quick as we can with these (laughs) on the quick fire um so Biggest influence from a cut from from what though from like a, on you on you on your career or the way that you do things. Oh, we got players. a good question. Players. The players. There you go. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. What's the best book you've ever read? Oh my word! Well, I know you like a book. <laughs> I suppose it comes into the influence uh, bracket a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, and it it's somewhat to do with. You know, there's so there's so many diff like in different genres and and whatnot. <laughs> but what would be a good book then that you would recommend that some amateurs read? Yeah, that was probably a probably a good thing. There's a book. Um, <laughs> Me and Andy getting our pens ready right no, now. <laughs> there's an there's an uh, 
there's a guy there's a book called, written by a guy called Dan Millman called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, and um, it's kind of a connected to what he was, and it, but it also has a sport connection to it. So it's it's a, it's quite spiritual. So you so you've got to you know if you're not that way, I, I tend to be like that. And I kind of like the you know Buddhist philosophies and and you know Greek mythologies and stuff like that. But it, it ha- because it has the sport connection to it, it, it gives a lot of context to what, especially for young golfers. Like I recommend it to to everybody. Yeah, perfect. So you can Dan read my Norman. book. You can, they can read my one. I oh, can read your book as well. <laughs> I can read your one as well. We'll figure out how to get that soon. Definitely. Yeah. So we got yeah, absolutely. Gifted Junior, make sure you check that one out. Um, so yeah, so Dan Millman, The Way of Peaceful Warrior. And, and actually, the, how I wrote my book was in, heavily influenced by that book, but for, oh, because okay. writing it as a writing it as a story versus a, a kind of a how-to type of book, so it makes you think. Um, you know, it's written for parents primarily, but it's, it makes you kind of like not say do this, do this, do this. It's more about oh, I recognise that in somebody or in myself or or, or whatnot. So that, yeah. that was the goal of it, anyway. And yours is, yours is story-based, yeah? So it's a story, yeah. Okay, that's good. It's yeah. interesting, yeah. It's uh, definitely learning. I, did, I remember doing some parent education evenings, and like the first one like was just disaster, you know, total room silence and, and whatnot. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, shit, that wasn't very good. <laughs> then I like asking some people, was it my delivery or whatnot? So I kind of softened the delivery, and that still went down exactly the same way and i asked the parents got them all together and said they said it feels like you're telling us how to parent our son or daughter and i said okay well it's not i apologize for that it's not my intent it was more to do with the golf space as opposed to you know how you want to bring them up and stuff like that that and that also influenced why i wrote the book in a story form rather than um rather than telling them telling to do this, to do this, to do this. Yeah, they yeah, can relate like more to it. that, can't they? Which is more powerful, definitely. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Okay, driving or putting, which is most important? Oh. Uh, driving. Driving. Pitching or chipping, which is most important? Chipping. Chipping. And then last one for you, we do this with everybody. So this could be people that you've watched in a tournament or you've experienced or even played with. Can you build the perfect golfer? So we're going to build you the perfect golfer based on driving, irons, short game, putting, and maybe the person who practices the best. <laughs> we'll yeah. put, in, put, that, put that one in as well. The driving toss up between Rory and Greg Norman from different like different mm. eras. Yeah, uh, I say Rory from nowadays, but Greg with the wooden driver when oh, I watched technology. him first. Thought, oh my god! Like the sound of that thing came off with a ballata was just, <laughs> just incredible. So I, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Greg Norman because he was like somebody that I watched kind of growing up. There we go. I like that one. And then so, Irons, uh, Alathabal. Mm, yeah, mm. amazing. One yeah. of my favorite players for sure. Incre- incredible. You say and wedge play. And, <laughs> but, yeah, you know. he could. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You wouldn't put him in the driver bracket, though. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, what about you? Do you think for short game, you, would you go with Lathabell as well? Um, no, I'd go Brett Rumford, short game. And and only because he used to practice a little bit at um, a place called Mill Ride near Ascot, where, you, I, where I was based for a while. And um, I spent pretty much like a half a day uh, you know, with him just chatting about you know, he was hitting shots and, and doing all this. And I've never seen, like, I've seen him at draws and fades out of bunkers, at, at, like, greenside bunkers and stuff like this at, you know, St. Andrews and, and whatnot in practice. And I'm like, you know, if you're ever, ever going to, like, have something of mastery, I think he's, he's as close as I've, as I've seen to having pure control over what he's doing around the greens. Yeah. Yeah, special talent for sure. If he could only take his philosophy with that to the other side of the game, <laughs> to maybe to the big the big gun, and maybe he probably just doesn't like practicing with the driver. He just likes tripping all the time. <laughs> He's just a really bad practicer. <laughs> and how about putting? Putting, um, I say the yeah, I say the best I've seen from sort of fifteen to twenty five feet was that period that Spieth went through. Yeah, in people mention that. 
Um, I've never seen somebody hold so many from, you know, from, from that range. But for me, the best clutch putter of all time is Tiger Woods. Like I can't, from, from the, from the, the thing that I'm, you know, from a performance standpoint of like, and, and doing it for when such it a long yeah. period of time and when yeah, it matters, um, it, you know, just, uh, just amazing, just amazing. Just a bit, especially that, you know, that putty hold at like in, in the U S open at Torrey and Torrey, you see yeah. it and the ball is just in the air more than it is. And you're thinking, what, yeah. like what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Speaking to Lee Westwood, we did a podcast with Lee Westwood and, and he we was talking about that putt. Obviously he was playing with him and he had a similar putt to that. And uh, he said, yeah, it was, it was always going in. He just knew it was going in <laughs> but before he hit it. And, and obviously the best practice is Bern Wiesberger. He definitely is, because he's the one <laughs> I spend most of my time with. <laughs> absolutely superb. Brilliant, brilliant. No, absolutely. No, look, just, thank you so much for your time. It's been, it's you, been really, really good. I mean, there's a lot of things there that I think anyone who's listened to this, they need to take note of and they really need to ask themselves those questions. I really like what you said about the questions that you, you posted for them. So if anyone wants to see any more stuff that you do, where should they go? Is it social media or yeah, is it a website? Mostly, I would say mostly on, um, on Instagram. I, I, I don't, you know, it's like it's, it's Stuart M coaching and I also have started up a new, I'm going to do some more golf schools and, and whatnot to do with, um, with practice called iceberg golf um again to do with the 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 iceberg metaphor of like let's yeah. work of the things underneath the surface to improve um improve that top and and it's just for those guys that maybe want to get a little bit more it's more to do with skill act practice and mm-hmm. and whatnot and for you know for juniors or or you know whoever but um Super. or they could you know I'm, I'm i'm happy for just people to reach out and ask me some Ask me some questions, but Instagram Stuart M Coaching is probably the best to get hold of me. And where can they get your book from? They get it from Amazon. From Amazon, yeah. Um, Fantastic, yeah. So Gifted Junior. That's um, and again, it's it's written primarily for parents, um, based on what I what I had said to you. Um, written How do you bring up your child? I said, in if a I can get nice to read the book in like two and a half days, it must be an easy read. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Megan. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, Stuart, yeah, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to have That's you good. on the podcast. I'm sure lots of people, hopefully they take your advice and listen to what you say and start practicing it a little smarter. Hope they so. They better. Stuart, yeah. thank you so much. Perfect. Cheers, have Stuart. a great day. So there you have it, brilliant stuff from Stuart. So we challenge you now to think differently about your practice and your preparation on the golf course, because this is what we want you to do. Don't spend so much time on the range working your technique. Obviously there's a place for that, but make sure you get onto the golf course and you understand how to play this very difficult game. Challenge yourself with different games, you know, get out there and play specific shots that you're not used to playing and understand how to train ugly. I think that's something very important that he obviously does with Burns and you can see what it's done to Burns game at this stage in his career. So we hope you enjoy this. Make sure you keep it simple, but make sure you give yourself time on the golf course practicing how to play the game. If you enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, leave us a review, and also take a screenshot and post it on social media. It really helps us to grow, helps us to get more great guests, and we look forward to seeing you next week in another podcast with another special guest. Thanks so much.